Simply Complex is brought to you by Studio 71 and the YouTube channel How to Make Everything. As we constantly try to improve the most difficult parts of our lives with technology and information, it's no surprise that dating sites and apps are becoming more and more popular. With Match.com, OkCupid, and Tinder, finding love should be easier than ever. But as we know, love is always simply complex. So in today's episode, I ask Andy a bunch of really personal questions about what it's like trying to find a Valentine's date as a single guy in 2019. And Brian interviews an expert from the UK about love, dating, and if these apps and sites are making love harder than it should be, or even doing something worse. In today's modern world, we are always in such a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items, and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding, have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted. Hey Andy, how's it going this week? Not bad, Taylor. How are you? Doing well. So I have some very personal questions to ask today. Oh, it's Valentine's week. Yep. Are you in a relationship currently? Nope. Are you looking for a relationship currently? I suppose. So do you date much at all? Uh, I haven't had much time lately. I'm trying to get back into it. I also kind of hate it because it's a game. Yeah. So how do you usually meet people for a date? Is it somebody you knew in the past, or is it someone? Do you use dating apps? Most dates, I, I feel like, come through dating apps most most frequently, most successfully, are usually people I meet through friends or other means of more in-person contact. I don't know if I've had a relationship that's like really worked out through an app. I do have a friend, they're getting married, and they met through an app. So I uh, met my wife when I was 16, <laughs> and I was like moving to that location. I met her at a party with some mutual friends and flew back home to where I was living. And I told my buddies, hey, I think I found the girl that I'll probably marry. And they're like, no way. And, you know, I was 16, so of course they didn't believe me. <laughs> then a few years later, they came back to Minneapolis. And so I finally got to introduce them to my wife. And they're like, wait, is this the same girl? And I was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> so I don't have a lot of, like, experience in the dating game. Yeah. So I was. How old were you when you got married? I was 21. Oh. So way too young. <laughs> yeah, so now we've been married for a while, and it's fun. And so Valentine's days are always kind of like, a, well, what should we do? <laughs> Get your White Castle reservations made? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I should totally take her to White Castle this year. <laughs> she won't hear this before then. No, we, usually we just get dinner, and I get her some chocolates and flowers, and it's pretty chill. I have somehow managed to never have a date for Valentine's Day. Oh. Somehow I'm able to time it. it's never been intentional but it's always worked out that way (laughs) so what's like your perfect date and then what would the date go like the best dates i've had are ones that like you just connect and like you just talk for the whole whole night and just goes on into the morning and uh those those are the best ones that where you can just tell it it's connecting yeah the conversation just doesn't stop that's good. Vienna, so what's funny is like, so we didn't start dating right away. 
So we were friends in high school, like really good friends in high school. We talked online a bunch, like through Facebook chat. Mm. And that was like right when it came out. <laughs> so um, she, I think she was like my second Facebook friend ever. <laughs> wow. So have you used any dating apps or online dating at all? No, never. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so when we were talking about doing this, I was like, you guys, I don't know if I'm the one. <laughs> I, mean, I just did the, the once and done thing, but... Uh, <laughs> it's the way to go. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's pretty funny. And then when we first started dating, because, like, we knew each other so well from high school, we went off to college, we didn't make anything official, and then we did, we're like, ah, let's just do this. And so for the first, like, year or so of our relationship, uh, it was long distance. So we actually talked online a ton. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was Skype or Facebook chat or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we, like, figured out how to communicate early where, you know, when you're when you're together all the time and the romance is fresh, you don't talk too much. Yeah. I mean, you do, but you don't. And so we were able to kind of figure out some of that communication and talk about, like, more higher level, like, goals and planning stuff right off the bat, mm-hmm. which I feel was beneficial and not, like, a super big, like, gamification, like Tinder or whatever. Yeah. When you say that, it just reminds me of uh, war games. It's just like the only winning move is to not play at all. <laughs> <laughs> what you did? <laughs> yep, that's that's exactly what I did. No playing. So, what's it like being a single dude trying to find a date or find people, you know, to start that relationship with these days? Because I don't know. I'd say it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if it, you can enjoy it, it's it's very easy to meet people. But it also makes it very hard to, like, form meaningful relationships and to, like, actually get dates to happen. Because there is it's just, like, a long... It's a game you have to play to, like, get to the point of going on a date when you actually meet them in real life. And it's only then that you, you really know if you like them or not. So it's a lot of work. Yeah, I can't imagine. So happy I don't have to date. So I feel bad for you guys. <laughs> Where do you normally meet people if they're not on the internet? Is it just friends from high school or college? I don't know. It's all all varieties. It's usually just kind of randomly meet somebody through a friend of a friend or I don't know. Yeah. How do relationships ever start? Yeah. So have you tried putting out an ad in the paper? (laughs) (laughs) Do people still do that? I don't know. We should find... I mean, there's Craigslist personals. <laughs> we should, uh, should do that. <laughs> See what you get. Yeah. Does anybody close to my age still read newspapers? Yeah. I want to see you set up an ad for me and then see who shows up for for some dates. <laughs> okay. What time do you want the date to be? <laughs> On Valentine's Day? On Valentine's Day. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to my friends at the Star Tribune. <laughs> Make sure that can happen. You want a full page ad? Yes. <laughs> Just front, front cover. Yeah. <laughs> Andy George, looking for a date. Meet here. No questions asked. <laughs> have you ever been on any blind dates? No, I haven't. I haven't either. But yeah. uh, once, so I valeted in college, and this one time, it was kind of a nice restaurant. It was cold out because it's winter here all the time, and I was hiding in the, inside the building so it wasn't a booth. All of a sudden, like one of my customers comes out, and she's like, Here's my ticket. Can I hide in there? I was just on this blind date, and the guy was so weird, I just <laughs> ditched him. And they're like, I just don't want him to follow me out here, so can I hide in there? I was like, man. And she was, like, older than me by probably, like, 10 years wow. at that point. So, One thing I always enjoy is hearing dating horror stories. And, like, I have uh, some female friends who always share horrible stories of stuff that happens 
So now whenever I go on dates, that's always on the back of my mind. Like, don't be the weirdo that they're telling people about afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, later in the episode, uh, we talk with a psychology love and dating expert who really studies, like, what these apps are doing to romance and the dating game. One of the things she will talk about is how because it is a game almost and the gamification of it, mm -hmm. we're kind of forgetting that it's people on the apps. And oh, so yeah. you just interact with these profiles and forget that they're real people in the background. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a big theme of modern dating is just being a dick to everybody and not, not connecting the consequences of it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Don't do that. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Golden rule. Yeah, I was on. I was interviewed for for something, and I was. Like, they're like, "Man, you've been married for a while. Like, what's the secret?" And I was like, "Well, just don't be a dick." <laughs> it's literally the best advice. So, even though you don't have a date this Valentine's Day, you are making something special for Valentine's Day. Yes, I'm making candy hearts. And you're putting very loving messages on them. Yes. I, I don't have anyone to write affectionate notes to. So I'm taking inspiration from my YouTube comments to uh, use some of their comments as the messages. Yeah. And they're very like flowery. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of bleeping in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be it'll be good. So explain the project to me. Um, yeah. So we have the candy hearts or conversation hearts. I'm going to basically try to recreate it. It's kind of part of the ongoing candy series where I previously did candy corn and candy canes. So now I'm going to do candy hearts. It's kind of like candy corn where a lot of people don't like them. And I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I just like every candy and just in general. <laughs> <laughs> they aren't the greatest, I guess. But uh, so I tried to make it myself, see if I can make them better. And then uh, everybody always says they taste chalky. Mm -hmm. So I tried to make some out of actual chalk. So they will taste chalky. Yeah. There's a noticeable difference. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like candy hearts are to like Valentine's Day the same way candy corn is to Halloween, where it's, they're just always there. Nobody really likes them. Yeah, I think but, they only work because they're seasonal. Yeah. I guess it's a season, so I gotta give this to you even though nobody wants it. <laughs> Except me. And we'll be back right after this. Thanks to mobile technology and app development doing so many things nowadays to make our life easier whether it's getting a ride from a stranger, ordering takeout, or going shopping, have dating apps really made it easier to find love and meaningful relationships? Last year, apps like Tinder, OkCupid, and sites like Match.com boasted millions and millions of users and millions and millions of matches. To find out if this is actually helping people find meaningful relationships, Brian spoke with an expert on whether digital dating is making it more simple or complex to find love in 2019. When I was in junior high school, I had to attend fortnightly dances. Not fortnight dances, fortnightly dances. These were formal dances where we young people were made to dress up and learn how to act like young adults. The evenings overall were humiliating, but the most uncomfortable part of the experience was the dancing. Imagine this. The boys on one side of the room and the girls on the other side. Then they announced to the group to go and ask someone to dance. So in front of everyone, we had to cross this huge dance floor to ask someone to dance. And if she said no, everyone could see this rejection happen in real time. 
I'm sure the adults who put on these dances thought this was character building, and perhaps it was, but I still bear the emotional scars from those years. I've been living with my beautiful wife now for over 20 years, but when I was young and single, living in Los Angeles, pre-internet, I was never good at the bar scene, and meeting new people was really tough in a big city. I have no idea what the dating scene is like today, but my general perception of it is that just like technology has made it easier to shop for what you want or need from the comfort of your home, perhaps shopping for a mate is also more efficient. Even with the well-known challenges of people misrepresenting themselves online and all the other well-known pitfalls with online dating, isn't the increase in options of potential love interests a net positive when it comes to finding the one? I wanted to get some expert feedback on this, so I reached out to Denise Dunn, a clinical psychotherapist located in the UK. Hi, my name is Denise Dunn. I'm a UKCP registered adult psychotherapist. I'm currently working in private practice in London, UK, based on Harley Street. I'm also a media contributor on the subject of psychotherapy and mental health, with a particular interest in online dating and how it interacts with mental health. I first asked Denise if she thought online dating apps were generally a net positive in the pursuit of finding love. I think it's fair to say that when you look at the online dating environment, it doesn't seem to actually improve upon the offline dating experience. What we're actually seeing is people complaining more about how they're treated and about the type of people that they're meeting. Yet at the same time, what we know is that more and more relationships are being built online. So it's not something that's going to change. It's something that's going to grow. And so I think for the next, oh, I don't know what, what timelines we're looking at from the next couple of years outwards anyway, I think that we're probably going to see a massive change to the way that dating apps are and the way that they work that is more reflective with what people's relational needs actually are rather than what they're serving up at the moment, which is the opportunity to meet lots and lots and lots of different people and probably treat them not very well and have lots of sort of short-term unsatisfactory relationships. I think really we're just at the start of something that's really going to grow and change. One of the common goals of most apps is to keep their users engaged for as long as possible. One of the strategies they use to do this is through what is called gamification. In terms of the gamification, I've recently contributed to an article on this because from my perspective, and I think from a lot of sort of psychological clinician and researchers perspective, it's based on addiction. It's based on keeping people on the app for the sake of the app and for their use of the app's sake rather than for finding someone. It, it gets them to uh, actually enjoy the process of swiping. And it does that by tapping into our dopamine feedback loop system, which is the basis of, basis of addiction, um, which is sort of a self-reinforcing system. The more we do it, the more we want to do it and the harder it is for us to stop. And so that's why you have a lot of conversations now around addiction and online um, and social media, basically, but also online dating. The very structure of it activates this sort of addictive uh, relationship with it. A common criticism of social media apps is that people become addicted to getting the most likes on a post. But what happens when you combine this need for a positive reinforcement combined with complex emotions such as love? Well, it's difficult to say that dating apps are addictive per se, as so many regular users are not addicted. It's fair to say that for some app features might encourage an addictive relationship for certain users. So dating apps, like any app that activates seeking behavior, in this case swiping, and promises reward, in this case like a match or a like, it stimulates our dopamine seeking reward system, 
So the dopamine system is a key component of addiction in that it's a feedback loop system. The more it's stimulated, the more it drives behavior stimulated again. Basically, I can't get no satisfaction. Once activated, we become totally engrossed in the seeking and seeking this sort of uh, expected but unpredictable reward. And when we find it, we're filled with this brief but potent feeling of gratification. So most people will be familiar with losing an hour of time on the Internet, just scrolling and clicking or compulsively checking their Instagram for likes. And this immersive behavior is part of the dopamine system and can quite easily, particularly in the case of users with emotional difficulties, become a way of managing low mood or avoiding difficult thoughts or tasks. Problematically, using the app as a source of dopamine supply leaves the body to produce less of an endogenous supply meaning that when the user stops swiping, they experience low feelings, which then drive them back to the app. And while one of the great hopes of social media was that it could give us new tools to connect more people, while also creating a peer network to keep us all on our best behavior, we are seeing the cracks develop in a lot of major social media networks, and especially with the dating apps. Apart from the addictive aspect, the downside of that gamification, basically from a psychological perspective, it makes it really difficult for users to remember that they're interacting with human beings. And you sort of objectify them. You sort of treat them as two-dimensional objects that you are sort of browsing through and choosing. And what we're seeing in our in our clinical rooms as psychotherapists is the effects of that. And all of a sudden, what we have is these, these terms, what are they called? Ghosting, benching, breadcrumbing. We have people treating each other as though in a totally unempathic way as though they've got no feelings at all. And it's not a very good uh, basis for a developing relationship or for a strong relationship. So the gamification, it gets people on the app, but actually what it does is it creates a, a less satisfactory online experience. So I think that they need to move away from that, and I think they will. They're about making relationships, and the best way to get people on them and using them and enjoying them and talking about them and recommending them to their friends is to actually create an environment where you are treating each other well. So I think that what we're probably going to see is a move away from that, maybe a slightly more feminist business model, which is more built around a desire for quality engagement, but one that's sort of attractive and fun at the same time. And that has to be one in which you get to know people and that they're not just sort of reduced to filtered photographs and a thumbs up like. My clinical experience is over a period in which the use of dating apps has gradually become the norm. And I treat clients whose dating behavior precedes and includes online dating. And what I find is that while bad behavior has been around as long as human beings have been around, as long as animals have been around, there actually has been recently quite a dramatic increase in what could be described as sort of cynical behavior or sort of narcissistic behavior. So quite loosely described as behavior that sort of maximizes the pleasure of the individual over the feelings of other, which is not really the basis of a relationship. As human beings, we are pleasure seeking and we're discomfort avoiding. That's just how we're built. That's how we stay alive. And rejecting someone and being rejected is synonymous with conflict and discomfort for the people involved. So avoiding that offline was always much more difficult. It was done in a much generally in a much kinder way. But online, you're not going to bump into each other on the street. You're not looking at the person's face when you say it. you may not even hear their tone of voice. And so what you sort of find is that people find it much easier to be really generally quite unkind to each other. And as this has sort of emerged as the sort of type of behavior that's expected 
from online dating apps. What you're getting is a sort of language, sort of almost like a a childlike language that encapsulates this behavior and sort of normalizes it, like ghosting, benching, submarining, breadcrumbing. It's got a real childlike harmless nature to what is actually really unacceptable, quite damaging behavior. And I would say sort of then further reinforces the normative nature of what we would have otherwise described as really sort of pathologically unloving, unkind behavior. And I think for those of us who who began our dating life offline, we can sort of see that and respect it for what it is and sort of do something if we're decent people do something to mitigate it. But for kids who are coming, you know, who are starting, they're beginning their dating lives online, they're being introduced to, to love and relationships in this really quite cynical, potentially quite damaging environment. And to be fair to people who are using these apps, they are based on the objectification of each other. We're choosing on the basis of photographs but we're choosing on the basis of how a person looks and the photograph is filtered it's a bit of a challenge actually to remember that it is actually another person with feelings i think to be fair to people it's not that we're all suddenly awful narcissists with psychopathic traits but i think that we're trying to relate to each other on an objectifying platform and that is a real challenge to do it's a real challenge to be mindful in something that's objectifying Back in the day, whenever you were sort of forced to sort of humanize yourself and be very aware of the fact that you were vulnerable and go to speak to another person who might be vulnerable was the essence of what a relationship is. You know, you were confronting it face on. That's not to say that, you know, when we weren't online, everything was perfect. There's always been bad relationships, but you couldn't hide from the fact that you're two human beings when it was in when it was in the offline world and with that you're two people who have an effect on each other and when you look at a person who you're hurting you feel like a hurting person and when you look at a person you're making happy you feel like a good person and that's the essence of good relationships and we'll be back right after this But even with all the potential pitfalls and bad actors you might find if you use these apps, isn't the sheer increase in the number of potential partners you can interact with and choose from a positive step in the pursuit of finding the perfect partner? Apparently not. It's called the the tyranny of choice. The more choice that we have, the less satisfied we are with any choice that we make and the harder it is for us to make that choice and the higher our expectations come of any choice that we make. In terms of relationships and the psychology of love, we all have this sort of romantic ideal of finding the perfect love. I think Freud would have referred to it as as primary narcissism, um, where we're looking for that one person who will service our every need and we will just live a wonderful life together. And when you look at the normal trajectory of relationships, they start with this idealization you know it's fueled by adrenaline and dopamine and and a healthy amount of madness where you think you find the most perfect person in the world and what's happening there is a, a series of projections are going on between you and the other person where you are only seeing what you want to see and that person is behaving very well and vice versa they're only seeing what they want to see and you're behaving very well as well Obviously, that can't last for very long because you're a normal human being and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to be yourself. So after a period of time, what happens is the real person starts to break through. You know, you start to notice they make a really funny noise when they drink their soup or I hate what they say bye 20 times when they hang up the phone or actually they're always late and it's not cute. It's really annoying. So you start to see these little things where that perfection sort of ameliorates and sort of slowly breaks down. That's a very natural, healthy stage in a relationship 
where you sort of wrestle with disappointments and you wrestle with conflict and you manage conflict between the two of you. And if you stick together, what you've got is a really mature serotonin, oxytocin, good, healthy, validating relationship that you can move forward with. But you've got to get through the rocks first. Now, if you have in your pocket the possibility of other perfection, the perfect person is out there somewhere. It's going to make moving from that first stage to the second stage a lot less appealing, basically. What you find then is this massive amount of choice, the sort of ubiquity and endless choice can actually mean that you have less chance of finding someone that you can build a proper relationship with. What it seems to be encouraging is sort of shopping around. So lots of short-term relationships with lots of different people at the same time, which really is avoiding relationships rather than actually having them. I don't want to be a total diner on dating apps because I do think they're great. In many respects, they're great. But I do think a lot of the functions of them and a lot of ways in which they work are actually I would say accidentally, not deliberately. I'd say they're accidentally interfering with the ability to make good relationships and therefore learn things about ourselves. Okay, but what about practicing to be a better mate? They say that dating is great practice for marriage. So wouldn't dating a ton of Tinder partners be good for a future long-term commitment? I guess the more relational experiences we have, the more we come to know ourselves uh, because it's really it's through challenge that we get to know ourselves. It's through rejection that we get to know ourselves. It's through the difficult things that, that when we experience boundaries that we really experience who we are. But what I would say again is that I'm not entirely sure that apps per se can create the type of relationships that prepare us for a long term relationship. OK, so should people just not date online at all? Um, I think that's a really good question because something like 20% of relationships are built online now. Most of us spend our lives online. So it's not a matter of getting off the, date, the dating apps and meeting people in real life necessarily. I think there's an inexorable move um, to, to more relationships being made online. So the thing is, the app developers will do what they need to do in order to keep their, their customers happy and keep them online. But then we have to look after ourselves as well. And what I would recommend is the first thing to do is to be mindful about why you're using the app to avoid sort of addictive behavior, think about when you turn it on, be mindful about what you're turning it on for. Are you are you trying to avoid a feeling? Are you trying to just pass time? Or actually, or actually, are you looking for someone that you would like to talk to? To be mindful then of the people that you are interacting with before you swipe them. And this is really difficult to do because the apps are built in a way that it doesn't encourage mindfulness. But just be mindful about the person that you're looking at. Don't just automatically swipe. You cannot tell from a quick look at a photograph, whether that person is right for you. But also, it's not just about choosing the right person, it's about keeping the right mindset for yourself. Because if you're thinking about these people you're swiping as human beings, you're probably gonna treat other people as human beings, and you're gonna expect to be treated like a human being as well. So it's just about, I would say, be quite mindful about how you're using the app and why you're using the app. Um, and and I, guess, I guess mostly that's what I would say. <laughs> I'm really surprised to get to this conclusion. Growing up dating before these apps, I often thought that the challenge to finding a good partner was primarily logistic. But now with all these constraints stripped away, a whole new swath of challenges has emerged. And the good old-fashioned qualities of face-to-face -face interpersonal communication and putting yourself out there emotionally are still the most important elements of creating strong relationships. 
And just like with all technology, knowing how to use it intentionally is key to making it work for you rather than you becoming a prisoner to the tech. I want to thank Denise for her valuable insight and helping me make sense of this complicated new realm. You can find out more information on Denise and her practice on our website at makeeverything.tv forward slash simply complex. Back to you, Taylor. Thanks for listening today. We hope you have a great Valentine's Day. If you're interested in more information in the show notes, please head over to makeeverything.tv slash simplycomplex. If you want to reach out to us, feel free to send us a message at podcast at makeeverything.tv. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen. It'll help us connect with more awesome people like you. Thanks again for listening to Simply Complex. We'll see you next week.